0: Ephesians chapter 6, at verse 10, the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen and may God bless this reading of his word. Thanks
1: Andy. Now, for those who are part of the congregation here on a regular basis, you will know that we've been looking at Hebrews in our morning worship for the last number of months. And I'm taking a break from Hebrews today, possibly next week, and certainly if I do next week, then if I take a break next week, then we'll not look at it again until the new year. But um, this particular sermon is for the congregation and. uh, Obviously, uh, we hope and pray the Lord uses it for all of us, whether we are here regularly or not, Um, and uh, we believe that His Spirit is sovereign over these things. But probably on Monday and Tuesday, I felt a very strong burden not to preach from Hebrew. It doesn't happen very often, these things, but I I, uh, did, Um, and uh, preferred rather to uh, focus on something more uh, specifically congregational today. Uh, so, my apologies to those who are visiting with us. But I hope, nonetheless, it will still be relevant to you. Speaking uh, of God in our congregational life, because sometimes I think uh, it can all go along without much thought about applying God into our lives and into our community and into our work. It can be quite tame, I guess, and quite. Uh, unchallenging and easy and we can come and go from church and it doesn't make any difference to our lives in many ways and to us as a community. Um, So I want to think of two things particularly today and that will be uh, reflected in our readings. And uh, the first is really about the Christian life being a battle, okay? And the second is the example that we have from Jesus. Jesus for how we live together. So the first is uh, that Christian life is a battle, which is obviously why uh, I read these words, or uh, Andy read these words uh, from Ephesians uh, chapter 6, which speaks about the battle that we're in, that it's not against flesh and blood, it's not against uh, uh, people, but uh, there's a spiritual battle, and to be prepared for that, we need to have on the armor of God, and we need to be praying. So I want to speak for a moment about kingdom life in St. Columbus, to which uh, all of us who come to St. Columbus belong. We've seen over these last months and years a degree of God's blessing for which we're very grateful and very uh, happy. And we like to see growth, uh, spiritual growth, and have seen some spiritual growth in the congregation, uh, not least in some of the committed uh, membership uh, figures over this last uh, month. But of course, we are hugely imperfect, and uh, we struggle uh, in this battle that we face, so constantly as people in his wisdom and as, wisdom, uh, and as uh, leaders were seeking god 's wisdom, his grace, and his insight to do something very simple, which is fulfill the great commission that 's what we want to do here, uh, our small part by god 's grace and uh, with his favor to uh, reach out with the gospel to make and keep disciples. Uh, that's what we're looking to do. We're wanting God to fulfill His prayer uh, among us. Your will be done. Um, your kingdom come. And we're looking for that. And uh, we've sought to do that here as God's made clear some of His purposes um, as we've tried to be guided by Him to have a strong uh city center, gathered congregation that is changing a lot all the time, but hopefully where there is a focus, a grace and a gospel focus, where there's training, where there's opportunities to serve, and also from that strong core where we hope to go out with the gospel and plant churches, particularly in communities, and particularly churches for people who don't go to church. We don't want to start other churches in the city, that are going to be filled with Christians. Yes, we want a Christian core. And the church at uh, the Old School House will be an example of that. It will be a city group that has gone out with that core. But we want that church to be, and the ethos of that church, uh, has has always been to be a church for those who don't go to church. And to encourage them. uh, And to reach out to those who are lost with the gospel so that we will see many people in this city coming to faith in Jesus Christ, whether it's in Morningside, whether it's on the other side of the bypass, whether it's in Craig and Tinney, uh, or whatever it would happen to be. And that is kind of fundamental to us. And so within that, we recognize and see that the Christian life for us, as we seek to do this work with God's help and in God's strength and humbly before God, the Christian life is a battle. And this is a kind of famous chapter, famous section, which reminds us of that that it's not going to be easy for us in the Christian life, either personally or at a church level, because we're engaged in something significant, and it is a spiritual warfare, and we needn't think that coming to Christ is about having the peace of the graveyard, because it isn't. It's about having a peace that passes understanding, usually in the midst of trouble and in the midst of difficulty, rather than apart from that. Why? because Satan all of a sudden is interested in our lives, and because we are objects of God's great love and great concern, and he wants that to be destroyed. There is a spiritual battle going on. If we don't believe that, then we may as well just ditch the cross, and ditch the atonement, and ditch the concept of our need, and ditch the idea of death, and ditch the idea of eternity, and a significant home one way or another uh, with Christ or separate from Christ. Everything goes, doesn't it, with that? It all dissolves. You know, we can't simply just have tea and cakes in the kingdom. It's more than that. It has to be more than tea and cakes. It's got to be a recognition of this spiritual battle. And uh, when we know God's blessing, we can almost formulaically say we will know God, we will know opposition spiritually. Now you can be part of that or you can walk away individually in your own Christian life or corporately because sometimes we would rather the easy life wouldn't we? All of us want the easy life but with that comes spiritual death or spiritual malaise at least. So the blessings that we seek and that we enjoy will not come alone and there will always be A battle, and spiritually and personally, that will be uh, a battle that uh, we uh, strive to depend on the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ to see our hearts uh, transformed into His likeness. So, I simply want you to be aware of spiritual warfare in your own life and in the life of the congregation. Good churches often implode. Good churches often take their eyes off Jesus Christ. Our battle is not against other people. Our battle is against sin in our own hearts and also uh, the opposition of the evil one. So please be aware of the spiritual dimension to every single thing that happens in your life and in this congregational life. Things don't happen randomly. Things aren't simply fate or chance. There is a spiritual reality of battle. But remember, it's not an equal battle. It's not a battle between good and evil uh, that we're waiting to find out who will win. Christ on the cross has been victorious. As Christians, we are taken from death to life. We have victory over the evil one. We seek his protection, which is why Paul stresses so much that we find our strength in the Lord and in His mighty power. And I want you to remember that mighty power that we don't live as a congregation because we're nice guys, because we get on well, because we're just such a great bunch of people in chemistry together. We survive and will survive spiritually in the power of the Lord. That is what we will do. And without that, we will disintegrate he is the heart changer he's the grace giver he alone will enable us to be humble and he alone can protect us from uh, spiritual darkness and the battle that will easily overcome us we're weak and small and uh, impotent spiritually uh, without his strength he gives uh, forgiveness he enables miracle to happen at uh, a local level he is sovereign. Remember these things. Remember them particularly in the, in the dark times of life, in the difficult times, and in the struggles that we face. That is when we often find grace. In the darkness, we find His light most beautifully revealed. And we, we, we go to it, and we seek His light and His grace and His protection and His care. Remember the power of the Lord. Be aware of the spiritual, spiritual dimension. Therefore, I say, and I challenge you to take up the call to prayer. I don't want you to go from here and just, you know, say again, "Well, that was rubbish, or, that was good, or that was pleasant, or man, didn't he have a grumbly voice today, or whatever it might be." I want you to respond to the challenge, to take up the call that God gives here in Ephesians 6 to pray. We will die. If we don't pray spiritually, uh, congregationally, and individually. I don't think it's good enough to say, "Well, I pray all the time on my own. Because we're not just individuals. We're a people. And we're called to pray together. The great mark of the early church in Acts 2 was that they gathered together under the word for fellowship and the sacrament and prayer. That is what marked them out as God's people. It wasn't the clothes they wear, it wasn't the building they were in, the denomination they belonged to. It was the fact that they were a spiritually alert people and as a community prayed to their Father in heaven. But also uh, individual prayer also. It's the characteristic of a Spirit-filled individual as well as a people of God. Uh, I'm calling you then again to remind yourself and myself to... Uh, a way of life. I'm not not encouraging more meetings. It's not about more meetings, more rotas for prayer, more organized prayer Um, that will come uh, from the ground up. But I'm asking that in every part of our church life we recognize our need of God and that everything needs to be Spirit-filled and needs to be Spirit-dependent. The practical things as well as the spiritual things that when we come to be on door duty for the morning and welcome people and lots of new people today, lots of visitors today, that we have a five-minute time of prayer before that so we are aware of the importance of what we will say and how we will smile or what we will uh, be able to converse with them about. That we will pray when we lead the worship, that we will pray for kids' church, that we will pray an identity, that we will pray for our personal lives and our relationships, and it will become natural for us to be a people who are praying. And you're not sitting waiting for something to... Uh, be objectively done so that you will pray, That's not, that you're not going to be passively just waiting for an, another opportunity or a meeting to pray, but you will be a praying people and I will be a praying person. It's a great challenge, isn't it? Because if we are not praying as a people, we are playing at Christianity. Whatever else we have, we don't have genuine, spirit-filled, Christ-dependent Christianity. And everything in our Christian lives... Will um, be connected with that dependence on prayer. When we stop praying, when we are no longer in touch with Jesus Christ through prayer, everything will fall apart. It's absolutely what will happen to us, both individually and congregationally. We're concerned for our souls, uh, for the place that you play in the kingdom work here, because I don't ever want people to say, I enjoy being part of your church or someone else's church. We're in this together. We're part of this work together. And it's not about sitting and receiving, simply, and going. It's about being. And we've had this battle before of not being a task-oriented church, but rather a people-oriented church. And that'll involve tasks. But it is about being a people who are first in relationship with Jesus Christ. And with one another so I'm encouraging you I'm asking you I'm pleading with you I'm challenging you to rise and pray and if you have no conviction to prayer I'm asking you to pray for one because God will give you that conviction if you don't pray in your life then there's no sense of need is there? have you no need for him? read again these verses from Ephesians 6 and recognize the armor that he is providing us with the armor of love the armor of grace the armor of goodness the armor that enables us to love him and love one another it is put on by prayer pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests you can't organize that you can't plan it no well, maybe you can a little bit but generally it's about recognizing the work of the spirit in everything that we do take the initiative take the initiative Use the opportunities we already have. Wednesday evenings, city group, other times when we pray. Uh, multiply them. Find a friend that you can pray with. Find a partner, partners that you can pray with, that you can learn from, that you can uh, um, be accountable to. I do believe that these are great days. Uh, potentially greater days. Uh But if we become self-reliant, if there's anything in our worship, in our life, in our mentality that um, promotes self-reliance, then we are on a wide road that leads to destruction. We need to be a people who are prayer dependent. And you need to wrestle with that. You need to wrestle with it in your own life just as much as I, as a professional uh, preacher of the gospel, need to wrestle with that preacher can be just as independent and self-reliant as anybody else. I love C.S. Lewis's quote about prayer where he says, I pray because I cannot help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because need flows out from me all the time, waking or sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. And I think we need that same recognition Of dependence as a people, as leadership, as individuals. That we have the great high priest who prays on our behalf, constantly intercedes. That's one of the great things we've learned from Hebrews, isn't it? And I hope that we will be inspired to take these words and uh, become more and more and more of a praying people. And if you're not a believer today, then you need to fall on your knees and pray. Because it's not simply an intellectual ascent of the truth or waiting for something to fall out of the sky. It's about pleading for God to redeem you and to save you and to enable you to be not in a self-righteous moralistic way of life where we look down on others and think we've made our way to heaven by our goodness but rather as we see the cross uh, that it took God to go to the cross in order to save us, redeem us, that we uh, depend on him and on his grace. So that's the first point. Now I'm going to ask Andy to come up and read the second passage, which is from John 13. Uh,
0: John 13, page 1081. We'll read the first 17 verses jesus washes his disciples feet john 13 and page 1081 from verse one it was just before the passover feast jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the father having loved his own who were in the world he now showed them the full extent of his love round him he came to simon peter who said to him lord are you going to wash my feet jesus replied you do not realize now what i'm doing but later you will understand no said peter you shall never wash my feet jesus answered unless i wash you you have no part with me then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew that he was going to betray but he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, Not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen. And may God bless this reading from his holy word.
1: Great. It's great to sing praise. And uh, uh, we'll be doing that in eternity uh, because he's worthy. I want to look just uh, for a few moments just at the second passage. Okay. Neither of these uh, sermonettes are deep. Theological treatises, you may have noticed. But uh, nonetheless, I think sometimes we can't see the wood for the trees because uh, we choose to look uh, and not see. And sometimes uh, what we see is very obvious. And Christ is our example. Just as much as the Christian life's a battle, Christ is our example, and that's really simple, isn't it? We can sometimes make the gospel very complicated We can make the Christian life really complicated. We can make church very difficult and complicated. But Christ is an example, uh, thinking particularly of serving one another in church and serving one another in our Christian lives and the whole concept of service as believers. Again, just to be practical about our situation here, we are uh, at a stage uh, of growing Uh, And with that comes all the challenges of growth. I can speak about my son because he's not here. Uh, I think I've used this illustration before. But Ross uh, sometimes uh, has really sore limbs and legs and stuff, arms. uh, And they're growing pains. And as he grows, it's painful. Bone stretch. Gets battered about not by his parents, and uh, he grows, and it's painful. And, and at some level, spiritually, individually, growth is painful. You know, you, we can't get away from that. And also, congregationally, there, there is pain involved in growth. We're at a stage where probably there's around about 150 or so people will come to church. It's not very many. It's a tiny number in terms of the, the needs of the city. Uh, But we have seen uh, growth and uh, multiplication a little bit of what we're doing. But along with that growth comes problems. Problems of disorganization, for example, Uh, that the congregation isn't what it used to be. We don't know everybody. Uh, I go into church and I don't know people and it's impersonal. And it's not quite uh, so easy. Maybe different people with different ideas and different thinking. And we may may feel, well, there'll be plenty of people when, when someone asks for something to be done. Plenty of volunteers. Church is full of people. I don't need to volunteer. We can become hugely passive and just not become involved. But so, often, funnily enough, sometimes then in a bigger church, it's the fewer that are doing the most and then burn out. There can be disengagement. There can be suspicions. All kinds of things can involve itself because simply more people. More people from different kind of uh, walks of life and different ways of thinking and different ideas of what church should be. And... Um, Simply want to think for a moment about what it means in St. Columbus to serve. Because very often uh, we make requests to serve. And uh, sometimes uh, no one responds to that. Again, wrestling with the uh, concept of being a task-oriented as opposed to a people-oriented church. don't want to be a task-oriented church because that can become legalistic. But if we're a people-oriented church, then we'll do tasks, okay? Because we care for people and we love them and we want to reach out to others as well with the gospel. But there will be organisation, you see, and that has to happen sometimes in opportunities. And the bigger we are, what we probably need to see is more people doing less. If you know what I mean. So that uh, there's a broader and wider range of people involved in serving and using their gifts. Um, and that's a great thing. Sometimes that's difficult to achieve, of course, and it's, it's not easy. But today we've got an opportunity, what I've done today, because I think part of the problem for us sometimes is how we do that. Because we put out emails or something, or we, we make a request from the front, uh, where someone's speaking from the front, and everyone's listening, they're asking for something, everyone listening. that's great, well, I'd love to do that, I'll definitely be involved. And then the end of the service comes and a cup of tea, and you meet someone else. And then you're back home and you forget to, to sign up or you forget to speak to them. And you still want to do it, but it's, the opportunity isn't there. And people don't respond to emails. How many emails do you get a week? 153? 621? The church ones always get put into the bin. Requests. Do they? Or, or maybe they consider, or you don't have time to consider them all. Probably email is the worst way in the, in the world to ask about getting... It's about one-to-one, isn't it? It's about relationship that we can help to do that. But there will be opportunities today. At the end of the service, see, it's not just a theoretical service. I'm going to have three people up here at the end of the service with clipboards. Okay? And, uh, for example, there was a great presentation. I wasn't here, but I heard wonderful things about it from Rosie and Craig a few weeks ago, about the needs of Bethany and our involvement in that and our commitment to that, to help in the caravan and to help in the shelter and to help in passing the baton. But there was no response from that. So, Rosie's going to be back up here today. She's mean, Rosie, and you don't want to. But that's not the motive, is it? And it's not... We don't want... And I'm going to go on and say about this. We don't want the motive to be guilt. But what we're trying to do is give an opportunity where you can see it. And when you want to do it, you can then go and... Rather than forgetting. Because that's what we so often do. And I do it more than anyone else. So Katrina will be up here as well uh, asking about the crash, because we're probably at that stage where we've got about 20 kids. Um, and so... We need more help. And uh, I think she's going to say, I want to sign you up for the weekend away. Uh, And I think there's going to be another person with a clipboard as yet undefined uh, with opportunities for you to sign up. Remember that sheet we handed out a few weeks ago with the list of things to sign up to that. We've got seven or eight back from a congregation of about 150. So we're looking for some feedback from that. Okay, enough said about that. Briefly, this passage. We are His disciples, okay? We are Jesus' disciples. And Jesus in this passage is uh, reminding us of some very important truths. Um, He's showing them, as we're told in this passage in verse 1, the full extent of His love, okay? Now, that's God. That's God the Son who's showing the full extent of His love, not just a little dribble. But the full extent of his love, he shows it in this passage. That's what Holy Scripture that is inspired says. Now, we know that there's a deeper extent and full extent of his love. It's not simply washing feet. It's more than that. Because he talks about cleansing. And it's as he goes towards the cross. And he says to Peter, you know, if, you don't, if you're not cleansed by me, you have no part in me. And that's not just about washing smelly feet. It's about something much deeper. It's about the cross. And it's about his work that he's about to do. So we recognize that the full extent of his love involves that. And that Jesus Christ in Matthew uh, 20, 28, says that the Son of Man came not not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So it's linked in with that as well. That whole idea of service and giving his life as an atonement for our sins and a sacrifice for us. So we recognize that. And that's very important because that, therefore, as we talk about serving and washing one another's feet... It is in the background of a motive that we have to do so, which is the love of Jesus Christ for us, that we are clean, that we are right with Him, that we have been touched by His grace, that we've been accepted. It's the whole prodigal son concept that we've enjoyed and experienced as believers. And that's what motivates us to serve. So there's this whole idea of love being the focus and the motivation for then going on, to serve. And that's hugely significant because most of our service, if we're honest with ourselves, may well be driven by guilt or driven by a sense of duty, which will sometimes come in, I'm sure, or for whatever reason. But the the purest and the best motive that Christ Jesus wants us to have is gratitude and love for Him. And as we see, have love for Him and are touched by His grace and receive the Holy Spirit, we therefore have love for other people and want to serve them. That is radically counter-cultural for us. Absolutely. In our lives, transformation is from the inside out. It's not about earning or guilt or anything else. Or obedience even. Well, it is obedience, but the motive is the grace of God. Serving God by serving others. I think very often in churches, and in our own thinking, we are uh, gift-driven when it comes to service. We think we serve in a way that we can because we have the gifts to do so. And that's significant, that's important, and it's absolutely right, both for leadership to recognize people's gifts and use them, and for people with gifts to offer them to God in service. But I, I don't think it's the whole picture. In fact, I don't even think it's half the picture. Because this big story here is about love is doing the stuff and serving uh, in doing the things that nobody else wants to do. And nobody else sees. You know, Jesus washes the disciples' feet here. That's the lowest of the low task. It, it's simply unimaginable for us to understand how miserable and unacceptable it was for a Uh, 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 a spiritual leader to do what he did in washing the disciples' feet in this way. The lowest slave would uh, be the one who did this. It's insignificant. Service for us, can I just say service for us, will often be insignificant. It's not glamorous. Serving Christ by serving one another, and I'm thinking particularly in the Christian community we have here, it's costly. It's um, unimpressive. It's below most of us. Can I say that again? Serving is below most of us We would rather do other things. We would rather use our time in different ways. We would rather use our multifarious gifts, but service for most of us uh, is beneath us. And yet God is saying here, Jesus Christ uh, says you don't need special ability and gifting to love and to put other people first and to wash one another's feet, however that looks for us in our life today. It's sacrificial and it's humbling. And so, for this community, for example, to function even on a Sunday when we come together, uh, we need that servant spirit. But much more than that, we need a servant spirit with one another, in our, in our relationships with one another, so that there's a multitude of serving going on that nobody sees, that's not rotated or organized or uh, on the board at the back or. Uh, that anyone knows about because we are simply doing it for God's glory because we have seen and responding to need. Need that takes us out of our own lives. And say, oh, that's so harsh. My life is so difficult. I need people to look after me and serve me. That will be the case in life. But very often do you not find and do we not find that it's when we serve others that we come out of our own selves and recognize how much we have to be thankful for. And how much God has given to us and how pleasurable it is to serve others, to see the response and to see their love and to see their gratitude for what we are doing. Doing the washing the disciples, doing the ugly and unnoticed and simple things that we, we don't have time to do and aren't committed to do. The love of Christ, the cross, what Jesus does here, it speaks of commitment. It speaks of real commitment. You know, at any point during this process, we recognize with all the mystery of the divinity that God, Jesus, could have turned back. He was tempted to turn back. He cried out so greatly that blood poured from His capillaries. He knew the forsakenness of the Father, but His commitment to us took Him all the way to His love and His grace took us all the way to the cross. It speaks about commitment and commitment... There's a terrible fear of commitment in the society in which we live today in Western world and and here uh, in the lives we live. For whatever reason, whatever cost is involved, we fear the idea of commitment. And I think uh, we need to take ourselves back to the foot of the cross because this congregation, I'm saying, needs you. And we need each other and I'm not just talking about all the, the formal things. I'm talking about the acts of service that we need in our lives. and I think it, it brings cleansing and grace into our community. I just want to say, in conclusion with relate to this, two very important things. One, think of who is serving here in this story of washing the disciples' feet. Think who is doing this washing of the disciples' feet. Think about who he is. This is Christ, the most spiritually gifted individual who ever walked the earth. This is Christ, the most theologically astute person who ever walked this life, who had perfect understanding, who was spiritually aware, who was insightful, who was visionary, who was perfect and good and holy and pure. And his legacy to us, what what is it? This greatest of all people, his legacy to us is a cross for cleansing and a basin for service. That's what he's left us. This great king of kings and lord of lords, a cross. This is our God. The servant king. Cross for cleansing and a basin for service. That's a totally remarkable thought. And it ought to reflect our emphasis and our understanding of church and of Christianity and of what God wants from us. This is what he chose to reveal as the full extent of his love. Not just a kind of sideshow. He wasn't distracted or Uh, not thinking straight because of the cross. This is what he wanted the church to have as a model, as a blueprint for Christian living. The cross and all that flows from that and the basin for service. Think of who it was then who did this. And also, can I just finish with the thought, think of who he's serving. Can I leave you with that thought? Think of who he's serving, his disciples who denied him, who were about to betray him, who were blind to his teaching, who were divisive, who were proud, who were ignorant, who must have in a perfectly holy way frustrated him. That is whose feet he was washing. We don't have the 12 perfect church members before the throne here, before Jesus Christ We have people who didn't understand and who were full of error and mistake and blindness. That's who he served. So often, is it not, our service is predicated on the worthiness of the recipients or on us doing other people a favor to ingratiate ourselves to them or the church or God. I'll only do it if I'm appreciated but here is a Christ who does it for these people in in other words there's self forgetfulness in this as we serve it's not about us it's about Christ and it's about the need that we see in front of us you know Matthew 25 backs up really what uh, Jesus is doing Uh, when there's goats standing before him in heaven. And then the king will say to those in his right, come, you are blessed of my father, take your inheritance. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me and I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. And so on, you know. That's the gospel. And we've turned on its head so often. That's what impresses Jesus because he sees himself from our hearts out of it. He sees grace. He sees sees the mirror of that washing of the feet every time. We have the same self-forgetfulness in our grace and our motives. That we have low standards for how other people act but high standards for our own action before the living God because our motive is his grace and his goodness and we're forgiving and we're like the father who comes for the prodigal child with his arms open and running towards him, not like the elder brother who served with grumbling and complaining and ingratitude to what he had. So, may the challenge be for me and for us today that we remember Christ as our example and that we also recognize the Christian battle. And in it all, that his provision is there for us. Everything what we need. We simply go to him. Everything is there for us. It's it's just a win-win situation, but it takes our responsibility to go to him and to rely on him and be children of God. Because remember... No, don't remember anything because I haven't said it, but I'll say it tonight. (laughs) I'm talking about being a child of God tonight and the responsibility of that. And so remember... (laughs) that we are children of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we ask and pray that you would help us. We recognize and know that without you, we we can't do anything of any value spiritually, that we can be nice to one another at a human level, and and that we absolutely don't decry these uh, human blessings to one another and the care and love and friendship that we can offer one another. But we know that we have a responsibility to love because Christ first loved us and to rely on Christ because Christ is worthy and because uh, our motives are always imperfect and we seek to find our motives in Jesus and to uh, follow him. So bless us, we pray, as uh, we seek to uh, serve you here. We again remember Brunsfield, we also remember Christ Church and Craig and Tinney and Encouragement that they have seen and known and protect them, we pray, as we need protection ourselves. May we pray with and for one another. May we focus our eyes on what is eternal, not on what is temporary. May we not be uh, filled with uh, self remembrance and grumpiness, but help us rather to uh, be committed, not out of guilt, not out of mere ritual, and not out of uh, religious ceremony. Or self-righteousness but because of grace and may we find therein, in as we've been looking at in our evening services for the young people also we we find it in our freedom and our newness for we ask it in jesus name amen